Chapter Two of the Brazilian Gold Mine Mystery. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two: The Clutching Hand. Biff was wide awake now. The drone of the plane growing louder in his ears. With it, his suspicions of Serbot faded. The smiling man was leaning back in his seat, his own eyes closed as if in sleep. His hands were folded loosely across his stomach. For the first time, Biff saw why Serbot wore that constant smile. The left side of his mouth was curled to match the right, which was drawn upward by a scar that began at the corner of his lips and became increasingly jagged until it ended beside his right eyebrow. Before, the large rims and green tint of the sunglasses had helped to hide the scar, but Serbot had removed them before he went to sleep. Now, as Biff studied him, Serbot opened his eyes slowly and gave Biff a sleepy glance. Realizing that Biff had observed the scar, Serbot raised his right hand and traced it lightly with his forefinger. A decoration I received during World War II, he commented, while I was working with the French underground. A Nazi spy tried to give me this. Graphically, Serbot swept his hand across his throat, but I managed to save my neck. I received this instead. Serbot clenched his left fist as though it contained a weapon. He grabbed his left wrist with his right hand and shook his head. If anyone attacks you with a knife or gun, don't try to stop him that way, he said. It won't work fast enough, as I found out. Hit his wrist like this, Serbot opened his right hand, bent it backward, and drove it against the left wrist with the heel of your hand, upward and outward. Try it. Biff practiced the action a few times and apparently won Serbot's approval, for the smiling man added, That not only will stop him, it will jar the weapon from his grasp, enabling you to snatch it all in the same move. Serbot demonstrated that too. Then... Noting that some of the other passengers were beginning to look their way, Serbot changed the subject abruptly. Leaning toward Biff, he began pointing out more sights from the window as the plane followed the north bank of the river. There, the jungle had opened into widespread grazing lands studded by a range of low, flat-topped mountains. Perched on one summit was a little town that Serbot said was called Monte Alegre. Then they were far out over the river again, and the Amazon once more resembled a choppy yellow sea until the order came to fasten safety belts. The plane was coming to a landing at Santarum on the south bank. Serbot pointed out to Biff the wide Tapajos River, which disgorged a huge flood into the turbulent Amazon, splotching the yellow tide with long streaks of green that looked like wash from the jungle and shone with emerald brilliance in the noonday sun. The plane roared off again, and at Obidos, eighty miles further upstream, the Amazon narrowed to a single deep channel only a mile and a quarter wide, with the walls of solid forests fringing both bluffs. Later the river widened again, and Serbot indicated small settlements built on high stilts in clearings back from the bank. Those show you how high the river rises, Serbot told Biff. Often it overflows its banks for many miles on both sides. Some of the native villages are so far off in the jungle that they can only be reached when the Amazon is in flood. 
Between pointing out these interesting scenes, Serbuk talked occasionally of his war experiences, and Biff, wide awake and alert ever since his morning nap, was enjoying the trip more and more. He realized that he was gaining a slight preview of the Brazilian jungle that might prove helpful when he and his father set out on the safari that was actually to be a gold hunt, but he was careful to avoid answering any direct questions that Serbot put to him. It was late afternoon when Serbot indicated a great, dark swirl of water that merged with the muddy Amazon, marking the mouth of another huge tributary. The black water of the Rio Negro, defined Serbot. From here, it is only ten miles up to Manus. Soon the plane landed at the Manus airport, and a few minutes later Biff was being welcomed by his father, a tall, rugged man with dark hair and tanned, square-jawed face, an older counterpart of Biff himself, except for the boy's blonde hair. But when Biff looked around for Mr. Serbot, hoping to introduce him to Mr. Brewster, he found to his surprise that his companion of the plane trip was already gone. Biff and his dad talked about the family and everything at home while they were picking up Biff's luggage. Mr. Brewster then led the way to a jeep that he had parked outside the airport. Before they started their drive into the city, Biff drew the sealed envelope from his pocket and handed it to his father with the comment, Dad, this is from Mr. Stannart. He told me to guard it carefully, that it is very important. Mr. Brewster tore open the envelope, and Biff watched his expression change as he read the letter. His lips set tightly above his firm jaw, Mr. Brewster thrust the letter into his own pocket. Then he started the jeep. Keeping a sharp eye along the rough road, he asked, Did Mr. Stannart mention what was in the letter? In a way, he did, rejoined Biff. He said we were supposed to be going with a rubber-hunting expedition, but that actually we would be looking for gold. You didn't mention that to anyone, did you? interrupted Mr. Brewster anxiously. I mean, while you were on the plane. I only talked to a man named Mr. Serbot, returned Biff, and I even played dumb when he suggested that you take me on a safari. He said we could make arrangements at the Hotel Amazonas. Biff saw his father's taut expression change to one of relief. Mr. Brewster spurted the jeep over a watery stretch of road with the comment, These jeeps have to be real puddle jumpers. You never know how deep some of the mud holes are. The road improved as they swung into the city. It was then that Mr. Brewster asked, Did Mr. Stannart tell you that there might be serious danger now that other persons are after the mine? Yes, he said you must be warned. I suppose that is why he let you come, mused Mr. Brewster. Frankly, I feel he made a mistake, and I should send you straight home. However, if we keep far enough ahead of trouble, it may not catch up with us. Mr. Brewster ended with a reassuring smile. I'll tell you the story from the start, he said. During World War Two, two prospectors, Lou Kirby and Joe Nara, gave up hunting gold and diamonds down in the state of Minas Gerais and came up the Amazon to help gather rubber. They put their profits into food and supplies and kept going north to look for a fabled land of gold, a land called El Dorado. El Dorado! We learned about him in American history, Biff exclaimed. It sounded crazier than science fiction, 
Wasn't El Dorado supposed to be a king who came out of a lake with his body all covered with gold? Originally, yes, returned Mr. Brewster. Then the story became a legend of a golden city and finally a golden land. The Spaniards looked for it, and so did Sir Walter Raleigh. But nobody ever found it. Nobody except Lou Kirby and Joe Nara. Sure that his father was joking, Biff expected a chuckle to follow. But Mr. Brewster was very serious. They uncovered a fabulous Inca mine, resumed Mr. Brewster. It was too far and too difficult to bring the gold down the Amazon. So they worked their way to the Orinoco River, which brought them out through Venezuela. Kirby sent Nara back to the mine and then returned to Minas Gerais, hoping to find someone to help finance the claim. But people either didn't believe his story or they were the sort he wouldn't trust. But he trusted me and I believed him when he gave me these. Mr. Brewster brought out of his pocket some small samples of ore that fairly glistened with gold. Biff had learned enough regarding mining and minerals from his dad to recognize the value of these specimens. In an awed tone, Biff asked, Is there much of this in the mine, Dad? A whole mountain full, replied Mr. Brewster, from what Lou Kirby told me before he died. The jeep was rolling smoothly now along a boulevard lined with fig trees, all neatly trimmed to a mushroom shape, but the story of the fabled gold mine interested Biff more than the sights of Manus. Lou gave me a map, continued Mr. Brewster, showing the route that he followed to reach the headwaters of the Orinoco, though it does not give the exact location of the mine. To learn that, we must find Joe Nara. I hope that no one else finds him first, like the persons mentioned in Mr. Stannart's letter. That's right, Biff. Despite Mr. Stannart's constant urging, the directors of the Ajax Corporation have been painfully slow in providing funds for our trip. Meanwhile, Mr. Stannart says in his letter, certain foreign interests have learned of the mine and have moved into the picture. They may be the sort who will stop at nothing to get that mine. Before Biff could ask more questions, the jeep pulled up beside a modest, low-built structure that bore the sign, Hotel Jacquard's. Looking about, Biff was surprised to see that it was growing dark and that the street lamps were already aglow. Night falls swiftly here in the tropics, explained Mr. Brewster, as they went through the hotel lobby and up the stairs to the second floor. That is why I lost no time coming from the airport. The driving is difficult after dark. Mr. Brewster unlocked the door of his room, turned on the light, then halted in amazement. The place was strewn with clothes from his suitcases. Sheets had been ripped from beds and mattresses cut open. Papers were scattered everywhere. In a corner was a framed mirror hanging above a washstand. Mr. Brewster hurried over, took down the mirror and laid it on a table beside a closet door. He pried away the backing of the mirror and brought out a sheet of paper that had been hidden there. This is what they were after, he exclaimed. The one thing they couldn't find, Kirby's map. As Mr. Brewster spoke, the closet door was opening slowly, but it was behind his shoulder and he didn't see it. From the crack slid a long, bare human arm, and a hand reached for the prize that Mr. Brewster flourished. Frantically, Biff shouted, Dad, look out! End of chapter 2 of the Brazilian Gold Mine Mystery